Watch the series that started it all. Full episodes of I Survived are now available to watch commercial-free on A&E Crime Central. Subscribe today on Apple TV, Cox, Prime Video Channels, or the Roku Channel. Stream I Survived in hundreds of episodes of other classic crime series and specials from A&E, with new videos added every week. For more information, go to aetv.com crime central. This episode contains descriptions of sexual assault and violence. Listener discretion is advised. Just a note about this episode, we interviewed Kim and Nina over Skype, so the quality is not as good in some places as it is in others. But I think, you know, as a woman and a female, you've got to be diligent when you're out exercising and aware of your surroundings and make smart choices. Things can happen. Yeah, things can happen when you don't expect them to. Nina DeVore met her husband, Bill, when she was just out of college. So I met my husband in Sun Valley, Idaho, and he was a flight instructor there. And I had my first job working um, at one of the local newspapers. I had met him through having to handle the Sun Valley Aviation account. I think we've been married now 20, I think we're coming up on 29 years. But this isn't Nina and Bill's story. This is about Nina and her sister-in-law, Kim. Kim married Bill's brother, Fred, in 2005. We met, we got married in 2000, the end of 2005. So we actually met in early 2005. And we lived about 45 miles from each other. Both of us were in business and single with two kids, which was really, really hard to meet people. And worse than that, be set up by other people. So we actually met on the internet He was the first person I actually replied to because I was a little freaked out about the whole experience. But neither one of us posted a picture. And and normally you avoid, I I understand you normally avoid people without a picture, but we hit it off instantly. So we actually, we were engaged probably five months after we met and married about four months after that. And Bill and I... We're just excited because we got to meet Kim and Fred had been dating some other gals and I don't know, but gals that he's been, so pretty. been dating. <laughs> Something never worked. So it was nice to meet someone like Kim. <laughs> and we were happy for Fred that he finally met a nice gal, someone that liked to do all the stuff that we like to do and <laughs> didn't have a crazy past and a <laughs> <laughs> or do some slightly crazy things right in 2009 kim and fred had just bought a cabin on signal mountain colorado fred looked for two years to find a cabin in the mountains it was what he always wanted and he wanted a place for our family and our kids to go but oh my lord he found some awful awful options. So we were really, really excited. And at the time we lived in Colorado, Bill and Nina lived up here in Casper, Wyoming. And so we didn't really all get to see each other unless it was family holidays, but we had planned to all go to Laramie and watch a university of Wyoming football game together. And then that was kind of a halfway meeting point for us. And then we would all go to the cabin from there. And so we didn't have any dogs with us because we wouldn't have a place to put them in the car while we were at the game. Uh, It was the first time we'd ever been at the cabin without our dogs and the last time we'd ever been at the cabin without our dogs. 
which this becomes very important later. That's why we're like stressing this. Yeah, if we'd have dogs with us, it may have been a different story. Yeah, exactly. That day on Signal Mountain, Kim and Nina didn't have their dogs. All they had was each other. This is I Survived, the podcast where we talk to women who've been through the worst things imaginable and all the tragic, messy, and wonderful things that can happen after survival. I'm Caitlin Van Maul. There's a trail through the meadow that links up with this incredible trail that goes up to Signal Mountain. I definitely wanted to take Nina on it. I do it every time we were up there. I would do it in the morning before breakfast because it's a nice three miles out, three miles back. I know I can get six miles in and then we can all have breakfast together. I have a bad knee, and I had done a lot of running that week before, so my knee was kind of aching. I went back and forth, and I said, you know what, Kim? I'd like to ride my new mountain bike. Why don't you go ahead and start off before I do, and I will catch up with you. And so Kim actually started out about 30 minutes prior to me, and the plan was to meet her somewhere on the trail. So I head out, and I end up at my three-and-a-half-mile Mark, and I haven't, she hasn't caught up with me yet. So I'm getting a little concerned. I head back to go find her. And a couple miles down, back down the trail, I find her and it's just gotten, it's too rocky. It's a little too tough to ride your bike. We decide to ditch my bike and Kim's been carrying this walking stick that her husband is adamant about her taking on every single hike. Apparently, there's mountain lions up in this area, and it's just some type of protection. So she insists that I take this hiking stick because I complained about my knee originally hurting, and of course, she wants to get rid of it. So I take the walking stick, and we continue on together on the hike up to the turnaround spot. We're talking the entire way. Um, There was absolutely no peace for anyone in the mountains that day at all. And we're hiking along, and we finally hit the bridge. And then my stomach starts to grumble, and I realize, time to head back. We need to cook breakfast for everyone. So we decide we're going to turn around and go back. We walked maybe about 50 feet. And all of a sudden, I saw something move, and I turned. Everything went to slow motion because there was something dressed in full camouflage coming at me. When I turn around, this man is coming at Nina with this knife. So she puts her hands up and he cuts her with the knife as he's coming at her with it because she is protecting her neck. Before I knew it, this man had grabbed a hold of me and had the knife at my neck. He wrestles me down to the ground and I start asking him questions. And I don't even know why I remained calm, because I was so nervous inside, but I kept asking him questions. Why? Why are you doing this? And he says, because it's fun. And these nasty black eyes are staring out of this balaclava at me, and I realize we are in big trouble. This episode of I Survived is supported by Madison Reed. As someone who colors their hair once every few months, I get really tired of the same old options. Flat, outdated, at-home color, or salon prices. That's why Madison Reed is such a revolution. 
It's a lawn quality at-home color starting at just $22. I Survived listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code SURVIVED at madison-reed.com. Madison Reed takes at-home color to a new level, giving you gorgeous, shiny, multidimensional, healthy-looking hair. This is game-changing color you can do at home and look as if you just came from the salon. And there's a reason Madison Reed is different from anything else out there. It's crafted by master colorists who blend light, dark, cool, and warm tones to create over 55 beautiful multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. That's madison-reed.com. And as a special bonus, I Survived listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code SURVIVED. That's code SURVIVED. Don't you know! This is Theo Rossi. Our world is changing. For many of us, it'll never feel the same. The important thing to remember is that we are all in this together. And that's some of what I want to talk about on my new show, Theory. We're going to discuss the things that no one ever does. The real talk, the sacrifice, and the struggle that everyone goes through. My life has kind of put me in a unique position to see things honestly. This is Theo Rossi, and my new show, Theory, launches on April 8th, officially on Spotify, Podcast One, and Apple Podcasts. You start to realize this is a very, very serious situation. We're back in the middle of nowhere. This man is dressed in full camouflage. He has a big, sharp, shiny knife at my throat. He has now taken control of the situation by wrestling me down to the ground. I really started to study his skin and his eyes because I thought, If they ever catch this man, I'm going to have to describe something, and this is all I can see. Nina had dropped the walking stick when the man attacked, but she had something better. She had Kim. Out of sheer instinct, I pick up the walking stick, and he's yelling at me the whole time, drop the stick, sit down, back off. And I'm trying trying to do enough of what he's asking me to do so that he doesn't hurt her worse. Both Kim and I, we remained fairly calm. We never let out a scream. Deep inside, of course, we're we're panicking, we're very nervous. Your life feels like it's gonna flash by you and you're thinking, this is not how I wanna die. Of course, he's yelling the whole time, I'll cut her, I'll kill her, I'll, I'll cut her, back off. And I realized that if I back up a little bit that I can squat against the mountain, but I can stay ready. I can jump up if I need to. He kept telling me, don't struggle, don't struggle. Quit resisting me, quit resisting me. And I said very calmly, I'm not resisting you. I'm just a little stressed here. You've got a knife to my throat. You've got me down on the ground. You've cut me, my hand is bleeding. May I get a Band-Aid out of my backpack? And I knew in reality I had no Band-Aid in my backpack. I was just thinking of something to do so I could change up the situation. And he said, no, bitch, you can't get a Band-Aid out of your backpack. My initial take on the situation was that we were going to die. I mean, he was absolutely there to kill us. He then started to fondle with my backpack that I had attached to my chest. And I'm thinking, okay, I I know what he's after now. He's on top of her and he's trying to pin her arms down. And oh my gosh, he's going to rape her. I am going to have to sit here 
and watch Nina get raped. He's pulling her shirt up. He's pulling her bike shorts down. And as much as I thought that I could wait for the right moment, I can't. He thinks I've dropped the stick because it's laying on the ground, but I still have my arms around it. I jump up. And as soon as I jump up, I have no idea what I'm going to do because he's still got the knife to her neck and I can't think of a safe way to attack him. So I say, our husbands are coming. They left the cabin 20 minutes after us. They're going to be here any moment. You better let us go. That made him nervous enough that he wanted to take us off the trail and across the creek. So he now drags me to my feet, starts to drag me across the trail down to a flat area before we have to cross the creek. All I could think was, oh my God, what have I done? Now he's going to haul us into the woods where we have no chance. I mean, we go into the woods, we're not coming back out. So I say, no, I'm not going. And he's really adamant that he wants Kim to go first. And Kim does not want to go. She is holding her ground. He's got her around the neck and he's got the knife up to her neck. And he says, go across the creek or I'm going to cut her. And she said, I'm not letting you take her. I'm not letting you take her. And then he slices my arm with the knife to say, I'm going to, you know, I mean business now. Quit screwing around. Of course, that scares me to death because now my stubbornness and how I think I'm protecting us gets Nina cut. But I know that if we go into the woods, I don't know the woods. I mean, we've only had this cabin for a few months. I've never been off the trail. I don't know what's back there. He does. You can see in his eyes he's made a decision. And he knows he can't control two of us. So it occurs to me that he's going to take Nina. Kim knows she has to act. She knows he can't take Nina off the path, but doesn't know what she can do without getting Nina hurt. He pulled Nina up because I I could see her body. I couldn't see her face. And then you could kind of see on his face that he realized he wasn't going to get us both. And he repositioned Nina to where, I mean, he could have very, he was much bigger than her. He could have very easily dragged her. And I knew automatically in my head, I was like, all right, he's going to leave me here and he's going to drag her into the woods. And I can't let that happen. So that's when we looked at each other and I, I don't know. I don't even know if I did it. I don't even know if I raised an eyebrow, anything. But it was just kind of like, I'm getting ready to swing this stick. I need you to be ready. So first of all, I don't whack you in the head. You know, it was just like that. That moment, we both understood what we needed to do, or this was going to get a lot worse. This moment, this one look, this is where the tides changed. And we look into each other's eyes, and we know, okay, something has to be done here. We've reached the moment. My eyebrows raise a little bit, and she looks at me, and I can see it. She's ready. She does not want me to let him take her into the woods, and she's ready to fight. He takes her down, and he's trying to drag her down into the creek. And so I have my walking stick, and I take the walking stick, and I swing. I don't see her swing the stick. I just hear this whack. 
but it's enough that he loses his grip on me because she's whacked him with the stick. And then I'm able to slip out from his grip underneath his arm and slide through. He now charges at me. And, and I don't have anything to protect myself anymore. The stick is gone. Turns out it had broken and was laying down where we were fighting. And I am stumbling backwards to try to stay away from the knife because he's slashing the knife. And next thing I know, I'm on the ground. And I'm already in motion looking for a rock. And I look down more to my right as I turn around and there's this one lonely rock. I reach for it, I come back and I throw it at him as hard as I can. It leaves my hand in slow motion. And then it feels like when it hits him, you know, that it barely does anything. But sometimes barely anything is enough. It stopped him long enough to let Kim get to her feet. Now it's two on one, but he still has the knife. All three of us are standing and there is this standoff. We're all looking at each other and he doesn't know what to do. So Nina and I, we are screaming at him all kinds of things that our children should never hear us say. We're out of control because we know we're going to die or we're going to live. Damned if he's going to take that choice away from us, we're going to fight with everything we have. He's standing there facing off with us, and he still has a knife. And there's like a 15-second period of time where he's trying to decide, what do I do? And he looks back and forth at us and doesn't know what to do. And then he turns and runs away from us. And as he takes off, I'm thinking, oh my God, he is going to get a gun. He's going to finish us off. We have pissed him off. And then Kim yells to me, Nina, come on, let's go. And so we take off for this, you know, run for our lives down the mountain. 25, maybe 30 yards into this sprint, Nina pulls her Achilles tendon. And I said, I just popped my Achilles. And I said, Nina, we either run or we die. You can run. I know she's injured. I mean, she's pulled her Achilles. I know she's cut at least two, three times. I'm just trying to reassure her that if we can just keep running, we're going to be fine. But inside, I'm scared to death. I said, you know, I feel like he's coming after us, Kim. We need to get off this trail and take a, the unbeaten path. And she says, no, Nina, we got to stay on the trail. And I said, Kim, what if he's, if he's coming down the other side of the creek? I'm telling her, Nina, I don't know how to get back. If we go into the mountains and we get off this trail, we're going to get lost. We are running so fast back. And the whole time, we're just, we're scared to death. As we're running down the trail, she'd say, okay, Nina, you know, as soon as we get by the pump house, we have maybe another quarter mile to go before we get to the footbridge down there. It's empty and it's unlocked all the time. And it is not four feet off the trail. And in my mind, I'm thinking, he's in there. I'm convinced he's gonna jump out. We're still running. I mean, there's nothing else. There's nowhere else for us to go. They don't have a choice. There's no other way around it. They just have to hope and run. So we run past, we clear the watershed. And as we get to the beginning of the meadow is when we start yelling. Everyone's inclination as they come out on the deck is that we've been attacked by an animal. Then it sinks into them as we're yelling more. A man with a knife. 
Call 911. Police set up roadblocks and closed off the mountain. My family was, I mean, Fred was there at the attack and he he handled it very well, but he was incredibly, he had a gun and he was ready to run back into the woods when it first happened. And the 911 operators were telling us, don't let him do that. If he runs out there with a gun and he runs into a sheriff's deputy, they're going to shoot him. From the roadblocks, they did find a man that fit the description Kim and Nina provided. This man comes down off the road, and he kind of fits the description of uh, 5'10", 240 pounds, uh, scraggly ponytail. And out of everybody that the officer stopped, he is the one that is least cooperative. He says he knows his rights. They can't search his car. Uh, They try to get a hold of Nina or I to come. They try to get the deputies to bring us down to look at him. They can't get in touch with us. We're out of range. So they have to let him go. We're complete wrecks because we're positive this man is going to find us. We're having nightmares. Can't sleep at night. I can't work because I'm scared to death he's going to find my kids while I'm away. Even though both families lived over an hour away from the cabin, they still couldn't help but feel he would find them. Just, you know, you were on guard, really on guard. And then, you know, you start to think, okay, is my name, you know, in the phone book where my kids go to school? And I think my kids were on edge. I remember a couple of times, you know, I was nervous. You just feel like he's going to come find you and he's out there. But, you know, again, he's like, what, over four hours away in another state, at least for me, because I was up in Casper then, and Kim lived down in um, Colorado. So she was closer to him. We lived in Eaton, which was a tiny little town. We just had 3,000 people. Our three younger kids all went to school in that little town. And the newspaper... And the, this made all the main news in Denver and all the newspapers. And of course, because it was considered an assault of sexual nature, they never used our names. But they said a hiker from Eaton, Colorado, and her sister-in-law from Casper, Wyoming. So in a town of 3,000 people, everybody knew who it was. We were concerned because our cabin, they showed pictures of our cabin on the news. And it was really obvious what cabin it was. And we had a huge sign on the front of our cabin that said DeVore. We got a phone call at work like two days after the attack. And it was the Ace Hardware guy in our town. (laughs) And he was calling and he said, uh, he told Fred, hey, Fred, There's two different sets of news crews driving around Eaton right now, and they're going into all the businesses and trying to find out who the hiker is. So then I told everybody at work, I, until they catch this guy, I'm not, I'm just going to have to work from home because I was really, the kid, the kids didn't show it as much. And maybe it was me that was more afraid for them, but I didn't want him finding my family and me being an hour away. I, I'm thinking there's no way they're going to find this guy. I, yeah. I just, you know, because here we are, mountains, and I'm like, how in the world are they going to be able to find this guy? It's like finding a needle in a haystack. 
you know, it's definitely not like law and order. They don't keep you updated. They do everything they can to do exactly what they should do, which is not give you more information than you should have so that that doesn't ruin their case in the long run. They had told us that they were looking at a few people during that week after, but nothing specific and never gave us any hope. Nine days later, Kim and Nina were called in for a lineup. But they totally prepositioned us saying, okay, ladies, don't get excited. I don't really think we have them in here. We just need to exclude some people. You know, he's probably not in there, but blah, 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 blah. They were also surprised that identifying someone in a lineup wasn't like the movies. We go to this room, and it's not behind one-way glass. It's an actual room, and there is a table separating you and the men dressed in full camouflage behind the table. And they're all given scripts that they have to read from statements that you've given the officers about what was said in the conversation that went on during the attack. We walk through the door, and I look in, and on my right are six men lined up against the wall, all dressed exactly how we described. I scanned the room really quickly, and I looked down at number six, and my heart started to race. And number six, it's him. And I look in his eyes... And I am just ready to fall apart. And he says, because it's fun. He tried to disguise his voice differently. And that's why I said, um, speak up. I want you to speak louder. And I realize, oh my gosh, all those fears. You always worry. What if I identify the wrong man? Absolutely not. No doubt. Absolutely no doubt in my mind, the minute he said those words and I saw those eyes again and that same combination, it's him. James Bonsteel was arrested and charged with their attack and the attacks of several other women. Uh, we learned that he had attacked other women off his motorcycle and held them at gunpoint and sexually assaulted them. Once they discovered that he had committed these other crimes, they combined are two cases, and there was multiple charges against him now, against six women. Bonsteel would face charges on 23 counts, including sexual assault, robbery, and menacing. The trial began in April of 2011, nearly two years after the attack. It took a long time for me to start to feel comfortable again just in everyday life. I was just on edge for so long. And then, you know, you'd want to hear what was going on and you'd want to find out about the trial. And knowing that he was in prison or in jail, that gave a huge sense of relief. But then just, you know, the questions of why, why did this happen? How did it happen? You know, it was on such a beautiful day. And then of course you want to be able to put this man away. And, you know, you're angry about the whole thing that he did this to you. So, you know, having to wait for the trial date, you know, two years to sit in court and try and, you know, prosecute this guy. It does kind of turn your life upside down for a while. Neither Kim nor Nina were allowed to attend any hearings until they testified. So their husbands, Bill and Fred, attended for them. You know, there were certain things my husband couldn't tell me. So when we would go down to the hearing, there was a lot of information he had to keep from me. He didn't want to ruin it when we went to trial and we had to testify. 
And so he was very reassuring and calming and, you know, he was really good about not giving me too much information that went down in those hearings. And he said, you know, it will all come out in time. You just got to let the system work for you. But that was hard not knowing some of my questions that I had of why he was up there and who was up there and how the attack came about. And he just they just kept telling us, I can't tell you what was said today, but I can tell you that they have a good case. Bill and Fred were also their greatest source for emotional support. I talked to my husband a lot. And I did too. I talked to him a lot. I did see a counselor at one point before they caught him, just a couple days before the lineup, only because I was having like these really, I was waking up in the middle of the night, standing on top of our bed screaming, and I was positive he was in the room. So I had gone to talk to a counselor a few times about that, but it kind of, after they caught him, those night terror things went away and poor Fred ended up being my counselor. Yeah, once they apprehended him, you felt some sense of relief that he wasn't out there. That helped a lot. But yeah, you know, you think about it during the night, you wake up. I talked to my husband quite a bit also, but mine was positive and he was there for me. He'd let me talk, he'd let me vent. I think we had two really good supportive husbands during all of this and the support of family and friends to get through this. Fred was a rock and he definitely listened way more often than he probably wanted to. And same for Bill. <laughs> and you know what? Bill and Fred are really close brothers that have gotten along. And so, you know, they had each other too. But they were both rock solid during all of this. Both Kim and Nina were going to testify. Nina testified before me, so I didn't get to see her testify. Once again, it's not like law and order. They don't prep you. They bring you in one time just to tell you what it's going to be like in the courtroom, but they do not prep your testimony or try to direct you any direction. And I I thought, you know, they'd go over our statement with us and rediscuss everything, but they didn't know what to expect going in. Nina and I were very, very, we followed directions and it made the process really hard. I mean, this was a two and a half, two year wait. And we were not allowed to talk about the attack with each other. Nina testified on April 19th, 2011. I think in there, seeing your attacker, is your heart racing. And, you know, you're answering the questions as honestly as you can. And then when, the, um, when they ask you questions and try and catch you on something, it really, it really makes you angry. So it was hard. It's hard after you go through something like that not to talk about it. But we honored it because we wanted to make sure he went to prison. Probably the hardest part was the night back at our house after Nina testified, before I could testify, no one actually tell me anything about what happened when Nina testified. All I saw was when she came back out of the room, she was crying, but I couldn't, we couldn't talk about it. And we didn't, we were staying in the exact same house, but we didn't, we were so afraid that we weren't going to give him a reason to get off that we didn't 
talk about it. Kim testified the next day and found some of the same frustrations as Nina. When they're trying to either catch you on something you said wrong, you know, for instance, my my description of him on the 911 call was very poor. Compared to after things settled down just an hour later, I gave another description when the when the police actually got or the sheriff's guys got to our cabin. That description was right on. Yeah, and then you're trying to describe someone that's completely covered in camo and all you could see was their eyes. So it was it was a chaotic situation. But then when I was on the stand, they made me listen to the 911 call and on headphones. And you're sitting up there on the stand and you're hearing absolute chaos in the background. It just takes you back to a moment that you really don't want to go back to. So you're trying not to look like an idiot, but I'm sitting up there crying, listening to this call. And then I hear the description and I'm like, you know, I don't know what to tell you. It was wrong. But the discrepancy in Kim's descriptions didn't matter in the end. James Bonsteel was found guilty on 18 counts and sentenced to 134 years to life. I personally think he's the scum of the earth and he deserves to be exactly where he is right now. And, you know, I almost get more offended by what he did to those young girls than what he did to Nina and I. I mean, we were at least adults and they were adults, but they were 19 years old. In the other attacks, he had approached women that were pulled over or parked in their cars, made small talk for a bit, pulled a gun, and forced them to expose themselves. He stole some of their wallets and then drove away on his motorcycle. Those poor girls spent months because I think he, what he did to them, he did in like March and April. And then he took their wallets and he told them that he had their, he knew where they lived and he had all of their stuff. I think that's horrifying. Those girls were our daughter's ages. I just think that is absolutely awful that those girls had to live like that for that long. I personally think he needs to never get out. He's already had his two chances. He's been in prison twice. Yeah, I agree. He committed murder in Oregon and served time. So it's like, well, that didn't make him become a better person because then he turned around and attacked six women. In 1992, Bonsteel had shot and killed his roommate, Eddie Cowger, after a drunken argument. He served four years in prison. It takes a lot for a man three and a half miles into the woods to attack two women. You have to be pretty cocky and confident with yourself to think you can pull that off. But it's like he tends to escalate. Everything gets a little bit worse than the last one. And that's just really scary what he could potentially do. Kim and Nina refuse to let the attack rob them of their love of nature. But they are very aware that anything can happen at any time. You know, for me, I think Kim feels this way, too. You know, you don't want what he did to us to control or ruin our lives. But, you know, we both have this love for the outdoors. And um, I definitely, when I'm out exercising, I'm a lot more on guard, especially if I come upon people on the trail. We have a local trail here in Casper that I do a couple times a week. And, you know, you know almost everybody on the trail. But last week, I came upon some younger kids 
they're probably in their 20s, but they were kind of creepy looking to me. And immediately, you know, I became on guard and that adrenaline started running through my my system. And I just wanted out of there as quickly as possible. I turned around, I went the opposite direction and took another trail. I, if I'm alone yeah. somewhere, it's yeah. like, what do I have on me right now? And, and we learned the hard way, putting it in your backpack would not have helped us. There's nothing that would have been in Nina's backpack that could have helped us. We never would have been able to get to it. So you find yourself like in your purse, putting your keys between your finger, looking around you when you're in spaces that potentially something could go wrong. For some reason, I'm always looking for a weapon. What can I use to help me right now? Someone, like Nina said, someone you see somewhere will trigger that feeling. Like I particularly do not like camo. Oh, yeah. I don't like being around camo. And it took a long time for me yeah, to not. <laughs> I hate camo. Freak out. I yeah. absolutely hate camo. So it's just weird things trigger it. So you try to shut that stuff down. James Bond's deal was first eligible for parole in December of 2018, just seven years into his 134-year sentence. Kim and Nina were pretty shocked it came up so soon. All those feelings, the way I felt when he, when they hadn't caught him yet, that just really paranoid, it just all triggered again. And of course, my husband was telling me, honey, he's not going to get out. They're going to look at what he did. They're going to look at his sentence. There's no way they're letting that guy out. Kim knew about it, I think, before I did, even though supposedly I'm on that list. Kim knew about it. We were, Friday morning. We were, we were warned that this would happen throughout his time in prison, that these hearings might come up. So this is the first one we're really dealing with. Now, Nina and Kim know they can fight. And they have the diligence that will help them to hopefully never be in danger like that ever again. If you're ever in that circumstance, just try to control your emotions and think. Nina did such a good job of talking to him. It really threw him off his game. And she wasn't like screaming or crying or yelling. She held herself together and she was just asking him questions. And it wasn't going the way he planned He planned for us to be scared to death and and to cry and do whatever he wanted, he told us to do. And instead, we kind of maintained a little bit of control in the situation by not losing our minds. But I think, you know, if you do wait for the right time and the opportunity arises and you do fight, you know, you got to be ready to escape and make it work for you. You know, I think about those girls driving up a canyon and him flashing his lights at them to get them to pull over. So normally he would go in front of them, ended up putting them in a really bad position that they couldn't get out of. It's inclination is to assume everybody's intentions are good. And I would just say ladies or girls when they're alone need to think differently than they do when they're in public or with groups. And I mean, this this horrible thing happened to us, but yet I still find myself doing that all the time. And Fred will be like, Kim, what are you thinking? You know better than that. So that naivety is also what makes the world a really good place. And 
part of me says I, I don't want to let him take that completely. To speak to someone at the National Sexual Assault Hotline, call 1-800-656-4673. You can also live chat with someone at rain.org. That's R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G. They're available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm Caitlin Van Maal, host and senior producer. Our audio engineer is Kelly Kramerick. Our producer is Scott Brody, and our executive producer is Ted Butler. I Survived was originally produced by NHNZ. To hear more I Survived, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen to podcasts.